This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This is the first History Chatter episode of the new year. So here's my heartiest new year's greeting to you guys. This week I'll be talking about the history of a holiday. But this is a more of a private personal holiday. I am a fond reader of memoirs and autobiographies. Um I was reading rereading really uh The Fall of a Sparrow, the autobiography of uh, the bard watcher par excellence Salim Ali. a legend as an ornithologist in india salim ali was talking about his early life um and i was pleasantly surprised to see that he's left a very amusing account of uh, bombay south bombay as mumbai was called at the time by the turn of the century salim ali was born um in 1896 or 97 um this is uh, the time when he was about 9 or 10 years old he is recollecting he was recollecting his um expeditions really during his summer holidays to what he called the forest of chembur forest chembur i was taken aback i was um, actually going into the google map i looked up chembur and kethwari both extremely prominent thickly populated urban settlements in mumbai today but what was it like 100 years ago maybe 110 15 years ago so here's what um, salim ali writes each year he says uh, when they had school vacations in summer the entire um, khetwari um, establishment migrated to chembur incidentally he lived with a very large joint family his parents had uh, passed away while he was young and uh, his uncle with a very large family of relatives looked after the young salim and uh, several of his cousins all of them he meant would go to these chembur forest he says now uh, he was writing this autobiography in the 70s and early 80s so now a noisy part of metropolitan bombay of course chembur was a noisy part of metropolitan bombay in the 70s and 80s but in those days that is in the early 20th century 197 98 1909 and so forth a delightfully quiet sylvan haven of secondary moist deciduous jungle chembur a sylvan haven of secondary moist deciduous jungle set among outlying hillocks of the western ghats and what was the highest point of those hillocks the highest of these hillocks was called the trombe hill just over 300 meters and today 
it is of course the venue of our um, Baba Atomic Research Center. But those days, that is um, where the middle class children from South Bombay would go for mountaineering. So then it was a thickly wooded in parts, the Chambur Forest. After that, it was uniformly denuded, of course, um, into a rock of Gibraltar. Salim calls it the rock of Gibraltar. And how was it denuded? By the fuel hunters, the relentless fuel hunters of the Janata colony, which was established around its base after the Second World War. So that's how the forest of Chambor eventually was converted into, or the hillock of Tombe was eventually converted into a denuded rock. But then, in early 20th century, it was still part of a forest. The chambur of those days is memorable, was memorable, of course, if we look back, for its peaceful jungle flavor. And it had considerable wildlife, despite being pretty close to the city. The nearest railway station, Kurla, was three miles by foot or by bullock cart. There were no industries, no shopping facilities, no schools, or any other social amenities in the neighborhood. Motor cars and buses had not yet invaded, had not yet invaded the scene. And practically no commuters lived in the locality. Some rare townsmen as occasionally went there, such as those kids from Khetwari, there could be vacationing visitors or there could be absentee landlords who would make occasional weekend trips to their farms or to their mango orchards. There were so many uh, mango orchards in Chembur Forest those days. The Chembur area um, had enjoyed or would enjoy those days a well-deserved reputation for the excellence of its mangoes, Alfonso and Paris. Unfortunately, Salim Ali writes, such orchards, the ones that actually survived the housing uh, invasion or industrial developments, also were first disappearing in the wake of um, real estate escalation, the skyrocketing uh, price of land, and with the growth and expansion of the city. So there were the odd mango orchard back in the 60s, but most of them would disappear by the 70s and 80s. The mango trees um, have vanished or they stand um, extremely neglected, they are now overrun by parasitic growth of, of bandha, and they essentially uh, wait for being cut off. Most of the animal sounds, which were so evocative of their schoolboy vacations, have been long silenced. One by one, Salim Ali says, with the inexorable encroachment of civilization. The familiar howling of jackals at dusk and all through the night, inseparable from his chamber memories, stopped years ago. And there were hyenas 
Even then, hyenas were scarce, but they've completely disappeared in course of the late 20th century. Then there was the song of the magpie robin. Salim Ali says the spirited song of the magpie robin that regaled them at daybreak as um, he writes, we lay half awake, reluctant to leave our cozy beds. So the song of the magpie robin, one of the earliest and most cherished of his ornithological memories, too, disappeared over the time. But when he would think of those early um, childhood expeditions to Chambor, he would remember those careful vacations, carefree and completely happy school vacations in Chambor. Every time he listened to a Magpie Robin's song, he would immediately think back to his childhood vacations in Chambor. So Chambor, Trombe, Hillocks, Forests, Magpie Robins, Jackals, Hyenas, Bombay in early 20th century was an ecologist's delight. Perhaps those who've been living in Chambor for decades now would not even know about some of these pasts. Just as Salim Ali spoke of, uh, of Chambor as a forest, he also would recall in very strange and long detail about his school days. But more than that, I was amused reading about uh, his description of horse-driven trams in Bombay. So um, he was in time, initially he went to a school for uh, girls. It was strangely called at the time Zanana Bible Medical Mission Girls High School. And now it's changed its name. It's now called Queen Mary's High School for Girls. But then um, boys would have to move to a proper boys school after they attained puberty. So Salim Ali went to St. Xavier's. His brothers had been there before and uh, he was looking forward to the prospect of uh, traveling to school. The school was at Dhobi Talao. And those days, that place was known as Money School. And they would travel by a horse tram. It had a special romance for them. There was always a competition among uh, the schoolboys who would capture the front bench just behind the driver and who can then get to watch the fascinating operations. And they envied the driver for all the fun they thought the driver was having. Horse trams came in two sizes. One was drawn by a single horse. These single horses would be um, typically a huge vela imported from Australia. Or they could be drawn by two horses, a pair of Arab horses, mostly imported from Iraq. And those horses were always kept in beautiful condition. Um, they would be fitted with pit topis, solar topis, like the sahibs, as if that would protect them from the tropical sun. The trams, the horse trams, had rows of long benches of five or six seats, one behind the other, and one facing front. 
Each of these benches entered from the side, of course. The driver stood in front of the first bench and drove the horses, as it were, by tapping a metal ferruled end of his whip. The whip was held upright in a bracket on the floor. He had a revolving brake arm, that is a liver, and the liver was regulated by a ratchet arrangement for stopping the tram while drawing in the reins. There was uh, no, interestingly, before I get to that, there was no fixed halts. There was no um, stoppages, really, as far as uh, Salim would remember. But the tram slowed down or stopped whenever a passenger wanted to get on or off. Now, pedestrians and handcarts were kept off the track by a clanging bell under the driver's hill. So as the tram moved, the driver kept moving his hill um, and the bell would ring, alerting the passers-by and they would stay off uh, the tram's way. For supplementary horsepower, as for instance, when going over a bridge, there would be an extra horse with attendant and that extra horse was kept ready at the foot of the bridge and was hitched on by the attendant while the tram was in motion. So there would be this additional horsepower literally added to the tram and disconnected once there was no more need for the additional horsepower. The attendant who would fit the additional horse would then jump onto the next of the driver till the top of the rise was reached when he'd jump off the running tram, unhitched the extra horse and led it back to the foot of the bridge to wait for the next tram and so on. So um, Salim Ali would typically get about uh, two annas, about 12 paises every day for the tram ride to and from school. Um, from uh, from uh, to Mani School Terminus and back to Grant Road Junction. Ketwari was where they lived. So there was a single horse shuttle service every 15 minutes or so between Mani School Terminus and Crawford Market, past St. Xavier's High School. And there one had to change to the main line into a two-horse tram for Grant Road via Pyodhoni. Horses were usually changed at Pyodhoni, where a number of fresh relays were kept ready for harness. Infrequently happened, really, quite frequently happened in, in case of Salim, that he would consume the money for the fare. Maybe he'd have um, a velpuri or something um, some other snack. So he'd not often be left with the pocket money. Those days he'd walk back home um, through various allies and bylanes of, of Mumbai or Bombay at the time. But there would be days when he'd not remember that he'd forgotten or he'd consumed the money. He, he wrote about one occasion where <clears throat> he had finished his, his uh, pocket money, he still got onto the, the horse tram and the kind driver let him take the trip because he knew him as a regular passenger. 
reading um, these descriptions of horse trams and Chimbur's uh, forest, I was immediately transported back to Bombay 120 years ago, or maybe 115 years ago. Salim Ali, the writer, as much as Salim Ali, the bard watcher, writes and has a way of showing us, presenting to us a magical place and a magical time in a charming, enticing and sublime prose. I recommend the book to everyone listening to this podcast, The Fall of a Sparrow. To my mind, it's one of the milestone autobiographies by any Indian writer writing in the 20th century. Mind you, Salim Ali was not a writer. He was a bard watcher, an ornithologist. And yet, and let me conclude with this detail, he was so good in English, even as a schoolboy, that in 1934, his writing was included in an anthology of uh, the best Indian writers in English in the 20th century. Salim Ali was not even 40 at the time. And this is how well he writes and how charmingly so. I look forward to meeting you in the next episode of History Chatter with yet another enchanting story from the past. Maybe it's the immediate past. Maybe it's the distance past. But it will always be one of those extremely fascinating episodes. Do let us know what you think about this episode and what other um, episodes from history you'd like us to talk to you about. This is Onirban signing off. History Chatter, looking forward to seeing you next week once again.